architecture change. Hi, I'm Andrew Mitchler. And I'm Jonah Stanford. And this is the podcast, Arc Change. So can we say that this podcast is very much about the discovery or are working towards, but not necessarily have solved? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's completely about um, the process. Process is much more interesting now to me than the product. Because architecture gets built, I think it would be a shame to think of that as it being complete. Andrew here, and welcome to Arc Change, episode number six. This time we're sitting on the front porch of our passive house up here in the Colorado Rockies, and I have uh, the guest, uh, Dr. Cara Rose Meyer from New Zealand, and taking a tour of North America for the North American Passive House Network's expert tour series. And you're talking about uh, indoor air quality and uh, ventilation systems the director of the Passive House Academy in New Zealand and have done extensive trainings and uh, uh, extensive background as well in uh, building science. So uh, welcome you very much. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And tell us uh, about uh, the tour so far. So I'm currently here giving on a tour to talk about ventilation and indoor air quality in, in several um, North American cities started out at the Passive House Conference in New York, gave a workshop and talk there, and moved to Pittsburgh, Ottawa, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and eventually ended up in Denver. And that was just in two weeks? And that That's was right. just in two weeks, yes. Okay. Uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind whistle stop tour, but yeah, yeah still thoroughly enjoyable, um, met heaps of very intelligent um, people that great talks and and overall enjoyed myself but it was a bit exhausting also and i'm going to assume it's going to give you a pretty interesting perspective on where passive house is here in the u.s or you know in north america uh just from a at least from a from a quick view of talking to practitioners all over the all over the continent i have the feeling at least in the east coast you're you're preaching you're approaching critical mass, so it's you're you're on the on the upwards uh, leg of the S curve currently. I th- I think it's well just as it is in New Zealand. It's it's unstoppable from here on. It'll it'll continue. Um, well, the, the 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 difficulties with having two competing standards that supposedly do the same that 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 don't doesn't help you in um, making a clear statement of what passive house is and where it needs to head but i think these issues will eventually resolve and 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 then it'll skyrocket passive house in north america i'm pretty sure of that and you're from new zealand and you have you're the head of the passive house academy down there and you Mm -hmm. do lots of training in Mm -hmm. the south pacific Mm -hmm. and you pretty much it sounds as though you brought passive house down the south pacific is that or helped certainly was one of the key instrumental people in bringing yeah. Passive House. When I moved to New Zealand in 2005, I set up a website passivehouse.org.nz and, and got lots of contacts. Interestingly, initially rather from the US and, and England, because it was at that time one of very f- one of very few um, English language Passive House websites that informed about Passive Houses. So I got most of my contacts through there. Initially, I, I got through 
people from California and, and, and England really. But then eventually it, it picked up in so people in New Zealand picked it up and got interested in passive house and yeah, and then um I was able to offer the first training to get certified as a passive house designer in New Zealand and and the first group was really enthusiastic people and who waited for this to happen for a long time and it finally did. And from there we, we well immediately there after the first course uh, we found the, the Passive House Institute New Zealand a charitable trust to to educate and promote uh, Passive House about Passive House, yeah. And I was surprised down in Melbourne at the conference, uh, the South Pacific a Passive House Conference, how many uh, Kiwis were there mm. who uh, flew yep. flew over to Melbourne to yeah. participate. It almost seemed at least a third of the audience was was somebody from New Zealand. And, uh, and the enthusiasm, uh, it seems as though they are able to turn a lot of that enthusiasm into actual practical projects. Yeah, so the this first lot of certified passive house designers, they they all of them, almost all of them, went on to do actual projects. And one company in particular, uh, well, from from then on, after getting passive house, said, "Well, we're 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 just not building anything else anymore. We're mm -hmm. only building passive house." So there were there was commitment there, and and people really wanted to well to build passive houses and have New Zealanders um, benefit from from the from the fringe things that are well some people still think the mo the benefit of passive house is an energy efficiency but there's so much more in good indoor air quality comfort um, quietness so quietness is, is one of the most striking things that people remark when they enter um, a passive house, it's peaceful, it's mm -hmm. quiet. And so, uh, and then how did you get engaged, involved in passive house? You're, you're very active mm -hmm. in, the, in the energy efficiency world. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to tell, uh, really. Um, well, my, my first career actually was in physiotherapy, and, and after I switched to architecture, um, I was during while studying. I was a junior researcher at the uh, Bremer Energie Institute, mm -hmm. which was at that time one of the leading research institutions um, on energy efficiency in Germany. Um, and so did, I did some research there on 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 so, solar thermal energy actually and usage of solar thermal and 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 incentive programs for solar thermal and why they worked or didn't work. But the other thing I discovered while studying architecture is I was really interested in in how buildings perform rather than I, I found my my well design papers or well what I would now call them call it aesthetics papers, I found them really confusing and and and, and couldn't really understand well, and, and also contradictory at times. So sometimes mm -hmm. right angles were boring, other times, well, non-right angles were not furnishable. And so it, I got lots of contradictory feedback there and, and did not enjoy it so much, but I did hugely enjoy the building science papers. 
and so my my past was set from then on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you were you you were really actively engaged in some of the more difficult uh, the building science problems like retrofit the retrofit yeah, industry. And... Yeah. So what I did my my company in in uh, Germany we were managing a federal state incentive program for retrofits. They were also at at times we also had well smaller scale. There were incentive programs for low energy houses, not for passive houses at that time. Um, but we also did um, blow door measurements, um, air tightness measurements for houses, and I helped setting up um, low energy building quality assurance circle there. So yeah, pretty involved. Um, or the what one other thing that in that I did in Germany, there was at that time um, air tightness measure measurement gained a bit of traction, and but the, what we experienced there that everyone who could afford to buy a blower door would would go out and do blower door measurements with well with more or less quality outcomes. So that was the other thing that that I helped found was a lower door measurement quality assurance initiative so the, you, in in Germany you can now get certified as a as a blower door uh, user as a in an air tightness tester mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I, I hope that that helped um, improving the quality of the results because well if your quality assurance mechanisms aren't quality assured <laughs> you can be a bit of bit of trouble yeah and actually that's a renaissance that we're discovering that yeah you can you can and should measure these buildings. Yes, definitely. And uh, we do that a lot here in the U.S. with residential. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's been codified mm -hmm. uh, in the IBC, mm -hmm. so it's become pretty standardized. Mm -hmm. um, but in commercial world, there's very little mm. uh, measurement of air tightness. Mm. So uh, you can often walk around and just see just gaping holes in buildings yeah. still. Yeah. And, uh, and certainly, I don't think many many people understand it uh, from the commercial side and on the residential side um, people do understand it but it seems that we I never understood why we uh, this might go off slightly off topic but that's the whole point of this is <laughs> that um, why would we measure a building after we already built it you know and, and mm. for new construction we often go in after the building's already mm. drywalled and everything's mm. complete inside all mm. the finishers are done mm. then we do the blower door test and mm. then and mm. then well, there, there should just walk away from mm, it. So there should at least be one or or, or or several interim tests at the time when the your air tightness layer is still accessible. Because you're quite right. Well, if you do it once the once the owners have moved in and you'll find leaks, then well, remedying these leaks will be hugely expensive and 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 sometimes impossible. It also seems that the industry can't learn from mistakes if they. If they're testing them, but they don't know where where the issues are yeah, the, for the yeah. next project, yes, they will so be able you, to. you really you you ought to do at least one test at a time when your air tightness layer is is completed, but still accessible. Mm -hmm. So before plasterboard or anything um, that's covering your air tightness layer goes in, because then yeah you can you can you can feel with your with your hands and you can measure with instruments what's happening where and you can fix it and you can you, yeah, and you can also learn you can see well I need to come up with better ways of solving that detail right I was uh, at uh, the conference the Cornell 
building, the the multi multi story Cornell building. I think it's what twenty nine stories or so. So it's it's the largest passive house by a pretty significant margin mm -hmm. in the world. And they were talking about their tightness pro, tightness protocols. And once the builders went through the um, builder training, mm -hmm. that's they're completely obsessed with air tightness mm -hmm. and really want to test mm -hmm. the heck out of the building. Mm -hmm. So so they're mm -hmm. trying to change schedules around so they can yeah. properly test it. And yeah. the architects were talking about how they. They're, they had all these blur doors ready, and they're doing it floor by floor, and it ended yeah. up they just needed one small residential blur yeah. per floor yeah. to test it with, and yeah. that uh, you know that it was a screaming success yeah. just from yeah. that point of view, just yeah. having everybody paying attention yeah. 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 And, and knowing that they're going to test it was mm. huge. Mm. Giving, giving builders tools to test the quality of their work, that I think that, that's very successful because, well, that... Well, there, there are always some people who, who were not interested in doing a good job, but quite a few builders are. And if you enable them to, to check what they're doing, if you're giving them the tools, then, then most of them are delighted and and mm -hmm. um, and well, really into delivering the best quality possible. Mm. And uh, Jonah uh, talked a little bit about how, how his projects are coming in at about maybe 0.3 mm. ACH 50, mm -hmm. around there, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, for my builder who helped me with my projects, mm -hmm. you know, this project came in finally at 0.45, mm -hmm. which is okay. It's a, it's a small project, so, mm -hmm. you know, I'll give mm -hmm. myself a little bit of leeway. But his mm -hmm. second project that he built mm -hmm. came in at 0.2 yep. on yep. the first round of air yep. blower. And yep. he, you know, it's fantastic to see him completely mm. own that. And I think that's the, mm -hmm. of all the things about Passive House, that's mm -hmm. the one thing that seems to be adopted the quickest and most, uh, most consistently in the U.S. is, is yeah. learning the air tightness curve yeah. and people... Yeah, yeah. But probably because it's the easiest to, to test and visualize. Mm. So well, thermal bridging more difficult to test, indoor air quality more difficult to figure out. So yeah, but but it would be good to... So, and and, I'm, and I'm, I think it will be become easier with like the uh, FLIR one um, camera that you can just put on your on your iPhone to check thermal bridging. It's not not a hundred percent accurate, but it's pretty good to well just quickly see what's going on here. Um, and and I'm hoping that we'll also get for indoor air quality testing that we get easier ways of doing this to to have the immediate feedback loop and 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 the learnings from it. Mm. Right. And you and you focus a lot on uh, at least publicly. And you know, I know you say you do lots of different things, but mm -hmm. you do talk a lot about uh, ventilation mm -hmm. and indoor air quality mm -hmm. uh, stuff. And and uh, is it is is are you doing a lot of uh, a lot of this work to understand the health benefits, or or what's what's the what do you visualize as one of the larger goals of indoor air quality? Mm. I'm I'm interested in in what strategies work to achieve good indoor air quality, and well, I, I can now clearly say that manual ventilation, or what's sometimes called nat misleadingly called natural ventilation, doesn't work. So that there's the manual just means that we have willy nilly holes in the wall, or sometimes holes on purpose in the wall. Yeah, that some, someone needs to operate this. So it, it doesn't work. It, I'm I, I'm I'm a hundred percent certain it doesn't work to attempt ventilating your buildings and get good outcomes if you're trying to use leaks and cracks in in the building envelope. That doesn't work. That's not you're not getting the right 
quality of air in and you're not getting the right quantities of air in. So that, that, that I can exclude. Theoretically, it would be possible to operate windows for good indoor air quality, but you'll, you really will sit, have to sit next to your window with a timer um, to get that right. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and, well, and we we're still using our senses to understand the quality of air inside, to know yeah, when to open yeah, or close the window. Yeah, what, what yeah. yeah, that, yeah that's it sounds very problem. intuitive how we yes, approach it's, it. It's difficult to sense. Well, you, there's a bit of a, a bit of a, a frog in hot water thingy going right. on there. So you'll, you'll. It's difficult to accurately sense things like CO two concentrations or something. You, you, you probably odors that that will go hand in hand with CO two concentration. That's probably like something dirty you, underwear. Yep, but um, or yeah, or just well, what's what's lovingly called bioaffluence, um, <laughs> um, uh, sweat and, and, and ex well, odors from exhaling, etc. Mm. So, but, um, so we're not very good at sensing this. Um, the other thing is we are prepared to make trade-offs. So there's research from the UK where they put people in, in a room where, where they steadily increased um, CO2 concentrations um, and it well and, and people reported afterwards yeah it was a bit stuffy but it was also pretty cool so it was they, they were reluctant to they could have at any time opened the window mm -hmm. to get better indoor air quality but they were prepared to not do this for the benefit of staying warmer so we're 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 the the trade-offs that we take, and I, I know from myself if, well um, I I accept air that's a bit stuffy over air that's really cool anytime. Sure, so, sure. Um, and so we we really need to come up with ways to ventilate houses where you don't have these trade-offs, where you where you can have it warm and have the, the good fresh air. And can we talk a little bit about the crisis in New Zealand now mm. about indoor air quality? It seems mm. that the it's uh, that uh, the issue of unhealthy buildings has mm. really uh, been become a front burner issue yes. uh, with in the public's mind. Yep. And there's a lot of crazy contraptions out there in New Zealand I've seen mm. uh, to deal with it mm. in in not the healthiest of ways yep. either. So yep. um, you're obviously looking at balanced ventilation as the yes. as the yes. so, way to go. Yeah. So the but the problem with well. Um, the problem with New Zealand code, building code is not so much the thresholds. Well, the thresholds aren't, aren't um, brought, set at the right levels either, but I'm more concerned about the methods of determining performance of houses. They're completely unscientific and they're also not verifiable because the outcome of your energy efficiency um, uh, considerations will be a BPI factor. Yeah. Well, how well my how can I possibly verify whether I get this in my house? It's BPI. By P BPI, it's the BPI is well twelve point six. Okay. Uh, I'm unable to measure this. I'm un unable to see. I'm unable to get my feedback loop. Am I actually getting this? So the methods is where most of my critique is. And so the so. For example, and in the in the BPI calculations, the um, things like thermobridges have no input there at all. So you're not calculating any thermobridges other than recurring thermobridges, like studs in a wall or something. They they would 
will not correctly they would not correctly go flow into these calculations but in in some way um and there is just an assumption of an air change rate made in the calculations and i think that's one air changes per hour which um is well it's and, and regardless of whether you or not you're you're employing a better performing ventilation system or have a better strategy that that does not lead to this heat loss so this this one heat air changes per hour heat loss is just slapped onto your calculation um so there's no nothing that reflects what's actually happening in the building in 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 our methods that's that would be my critique and the outcomes is well poor very poorly performing buildings um very low thermal comfort standards most houses in winter not achieving a, t a temperature gradient between indoors and outdoors more of more than five degrees celsius wow yeah at any time at any time so and the wow yeah so it's and and um well and 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 most houses still are even new houses will be have a manual ventilation concept possibly possibly um supported by some form of of trickle vents in 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 windows but none of this does really work in the provision of good indoor air quality particularly if you see that well the these these people are already comfort deprived yeah? so naturally what they do is they tape over their trickle vents mm -hmm. because cold drafty air is coming in i would do that yeah. and and so it's no wonder it's not it doesn't work and indoor air quality is really poor humidity levels are really ho uh, really high because people can't afford or will just have given up heating their homes because it's pointless if you're, if you're losing all your energy immediately um so you don't have the the the, the drying effect of the heated air uh, relative humidity indoors really high mold forming on surfaces as a consequence and, and then yeah. and then you also talked about now that they're doing some retrofit or putting insulation in that they they don't have a it's that drying effect is not happening because of the insulation as oh, yeah. well now and that yeah. no, so in in the olden days houses in New Zealand got away with not having an air tightness concept because there was no insulation in the wall cavity. Um, the wall cavity was uh, ventilated, but but uh, what's even more important, the exterior surfaces in the cavity of, uh, were indirectly heated due to there not being insulation in the cavity. So they were relatively warm. And well, now, well, code updates rec now require you to put insulation in the wall, and that changes the whole dynamic of this wall because the exterior surfaces of the cavity are, um, are now cold surfaces. And any warm, moist air that's still able to get there due to no requirement for air tightness will condense on these cold surfaces and will lead to moisture buildup in the cavity. It's, it's pretty clear to see. Um, but well, interestingly enough, though the the official official research in New Zealand still rather sees air tightness more as a problem than a solution. So there is still this concern that if we make houses too airtight, that'll have negative impacts on indoor air quality. There's no corroboration for this in 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 uh, science anywhere. It's just well, it's it's easy to 
it's easy to assume this. It's well, it's it's sort of intuitive if you're not thinking it through completely. But again, neither the quality nor the quantity of air you get in through leaks and cracks is is particularly well contributing to good indoor air quality. So whether or not your building is airtight does not tell you anything about the quality of the indoor air. Is there a sense that passive house uh, is because you can explain these phenomenon at the very least in why we've gotten to this phase and the, and the passive house protocols often uh, have a lot of science behind mm -hmm. why these why these different layers and these different systems are put mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. in a complete system so you can't just cherry pick your wall system your put air tightness in but not a ventilation system or or vice versa putting in uh, lots of insulation but not having a and air tightness. Yeah. I'd layer. like to. I'd really like to decouple. Well, ventilation and air tightness. They, they, there is a connection, but it's not. So the the narrative often goes. Well, we we make houses so airtight. Therefore, we need a ventilation system. I think that's not true at all. Okay. We need a ventilation system to provide us with fresh air, regardless of our our air tightness of the envelope. Now. Ventilation systems will work far, far better with an airtight building envelope. Cause then in, I can and this is because you were talking about before that this quote-unquote mm -hmm. natural ventilation mm -hmm. doesn't actually work in the real world. It, immeasurably, you're not getting, even with a somewhat leaky house, you're not yeah. getting proper ventilation rates. No, you're not, right? you're not getting good indoor air quality really as the outcome. Because, well, what, whatever enters through cracks in your fabric that can, can well... For starters, it, it'll have all the contaminants of outdoor air in, but it may also ha pick up contaminants on its way through the fabric. So it could be fi uh, insulation fibers, mm -hmm. it could be mold that is somewhere in cavities, it could be radon from the ground, it could be a anything. So what, 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 what you get in through leaks and cracks is not good quality air, and therefore you 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 just will regardless of whether you get anything in through leaks and cracks you need to have a ventilation concept and i can speak directly to that mm -hmm. point here in colorado our mm -hmm. older houses uh usually have uh rebel foundations mm -hmm. uh from the turn of the century 100 years ago mm -hmm. and because there's not that much uh, insulation there's a, a tremendous amount of stack effect mm -hmm. so a lot of the hot air is rising through the mm -hmm. attic space and mm -hmm. it's being replaced by air that's coming up underneath this kind of yep. damp foundation area yep. Yep. and so there's always a constant musty yep. quality and, and yep. you always smell musty old houses right, right. that must be where the yep. phrase comes from yep. often is from yep. that phenomenon yep. so yep. even a ventilation system in a building like that would be useful for the it would be, but it I mean, could I, be. It, it's well, part of a larger system, yeah, but yeah, even, yeah. but still needs to be considered. Yeah. So a ventila ventilation system concept, well, and, and and mechanical is really the the advantage of doing it mechanically is really convenience. Um, but any ventilation concept is a ventilation concept is required to prov for the provision of good indoor air quality, regardless of the tightness of the building envelope. But if you're putting in a ventilation system, then your chances of getting the good quality air to where you actually need it are so much higher when you're when you're employing when your air, the building envelope is airtight, because then you can direct your airways and you can also well you can achieve 
that the, the fresh air really gets to, to that there's no sh short circuiting. So when you're extracted from your kitchen and your kitchen wall is leaky, then you're not getting the good fresh air in your bedrooms and living rooms, you're short circuiting it. Mm -hmm. um, so once you've, you put in an, a mechanical ventilation system, having an airtight building envelope makes things perform much better. So that's the connection, really. So it's you, 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 It's it's not like the the airtight building envelope needs the ventilation system. It's actually the other way around. The ventilation system needs the airtight building. Okay. Envelope. Mm. And one thing here in Colorado, uh, you know, we were just talking with the gentleman who says, "I'll never pay more than a thousand dollars for." Uh, I, I like to build passive house, but I'll never build spend more than a thousand dollars for a, a mechanical balanced ventilation yeah. system. And we're very clear that. As in New Zealand, you know, you had the trickle vents on the mm -hmm. windows and mm -hmm. people covered up because it's mm -hmm. just dumping cold air and it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I can see that here as being a major problem where we put in these very low efficient mm -hmm. mechanical ventilation systems mm -hmm. that I would end up covering up too if I had in the mm. bedroom a bunch of cold air mm. dumping down over the bed mm. at night or, you know, in, in the living space as well. So. Yeah. We kind of stepping up that building up to why Passive House has these really mm -hmm. efficient systems. It's not just mm -hmm. the energy side mm -hmm. often in what we talked mm -hmm. about before. It's definitely comfort it is, is a big part is, of that. Yeah. And we do comfort before we'll do other things, yeah. right? Yeah. So as soon as you start annoying people with your ventilation system, they'll find ways of to rectify the situation. <laughs> That's right. So if your ventilation Maybe with system, a gun. <laughs> if your ventilation system is particularly noisy, they'll just switch it up up or cover it and make it useless yeah and, and if it's well if you 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 the outcomes aren't comfortable they'll fix that too and that's so you 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 really got to put in a system that does not annoy your occupants other you don't have a chance otherwise so that's why passive house dwells quite a bit on acoustics on comfort and and well also the way that fresh air is di distributed that that also makes Quite a bit of, can make quite a bit of a difference in the acceptance of mm. it, mm -hmm. Mm. and that means that it's evenly distributed, just not dumping it in one space yeah, or that, that extract. You, so you'll you'll try. So if you're not heating your incoming air, then even with a very efficient heat recovery ventilation system, the the air is still well somewhat below room temperature that you bring in. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you shouldn't bring bring it in at well somewhere directly in in face height. You, you should bring it in. You should aim for bringing it in under the ceiling and ha then have it distributed evenly um, under the ceiling, dropping down at the opposite wall where it's then again slightly pre-warm from, mm -hmm. from traversing the, and, the ceiling. And we call it what that's the Venturi effect or not the Venturi effect? Quanda effect. Yes, please. thank you, so, Quanda yeah. effect. Yeah. So the, the using the Quanda effect, that's ideal really for, for, for many things. It saves on duct lengths. It, it provides better mixed um, um, air indoor air environments, and it's also slight, a slight comfort advantage. And it, is that based on surface tension, where we're, we're shooting uh, the air across a horizontal surface, where it mm -hmm. clings to that surface mm -hmm. to a certain extent before it becomes diluted through the rest of the environment? Is that? Yeah, that's basically what it the does. Physics so of you, the, you, the physics of it is you need need slightly faster flowing air, therefore you need outlets that, that, that are nozzle form rather than diffusers. 
and you need to bring in the, the fast flowing air six to eight inches below your ceiling and then what happens the the airstream creates on top of it a slight vacuum yeah the fast flowing air that's the same reason why so it creates a little bit of lift almost yes the same reason why why airplanes stay yeah. in the air basically yeah. so and what what it does is that it makes the the airstream cling to the ceiling and travel further into the room that way and until well it, it ideally it then somewhere meets um, an, an opposite wall where it drops down and you get the, the good mixing oh, throughout yeah. the enclosure okay. that way it's mm. mm. a pretty neat trick mm. it is yeah it feels that uh, there's a lot of complexities mm. in Passivaus but mm. it seems that once these parts come together it, it does have a fairly consistent message like when I talk to passive house people mm -hmm. from all over the world mm -hmm. um, we seem to be on the same page often mm -hmm. and coming to the similar conclusions mm -hmm. through our own research on very different mm -hmm. subjects and, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that I've certainly have not experienced in any other building standard yeah. and and the good thing was about passive house is you 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 can predict so you can come come up with a hypothesis of how this house will perform, but you can the the what what's the huge advantage over over any rating scheme or our building code is you you can you can validate this, so you can check well am I actually getting my fifteen kilowatt hours per square meter in, in year and and if not why is it why is it mm -hmm. not happening. Um, and you can check, do I really get my air tightness levels? Um, you could put up monitors and, and check your indoor air quality to see if that worked out. So it's, it's, it's verifiable. It's, you, you, and you, well, and from the result, your results, you, you'll have some learnings. You can, you can do a better job the next time, like your yeah. builder. Mm. And what I was going to say is that it seems that uh, it's really for problem solvers that, mm. that the people tend to really f focus a lot of their energy on pr solving problems that may have not even shown up on other people's radar, that there's that quality of sharing mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. as well. And, and I wouldn't say tinkering, but certainly finding where, where resolutions are still not quite very clear and yeah. really drilling down and, and yeah. pursuing solutions to that. Yes, but so, the, the, so well, my, my really my critique with most, well, sort of sort games that try to lift energy efficiency is they don't have any inbuilt mechanisms to test whether their proposals were actually accurate proposals. Mm -hmm. So there are assumptions in there about behavior, about how things will behave. And we throw net zero out like uh, like Halloween candy yeah. sometimes yeah. without really having a sense of why yeah. or how it works. A sense of why and, and how, well, or even if it works if it at works, all. Yeah. Right. So, so, well, there's no, for most schemes, there's no checking, does it actually work? And most schemes, you, 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 you can't do the checks because you don't have a concrete proposal or hypothesis of, how, how things sh should be turning out and so you have no way of checking this you, mm -hmm. you can't check well if, if the, you, the proposal is this is the greenest house ever how could you possibly <laughs> verify or falsify this? And we run into this? that all the time yeah you know and, and yeah. it's uh, it's it's really uh, pretty it's difficult and I think it it's difficult in the sense that 
we ended up just sounding like marketers, yeah. really, in the yeah. end. And yeah. I think that that's the death of an industry when yeah. you start just trying to play the game of marketing yeah. rather than measuring. Yeah. Especially yeah. for these expensive, expensive things, which yes. are called buildings. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess we can dovetail into the materials side of it because uh, I've I've spent uh, the past four years kind of talking and resolving the materiality of Passive House, mm -hmm. um, which which to me has always been uh, an intriguing problem uh, as well. Um, part of it, part of what I like about Passive House is that since it's a uh, performance standard, mm -hmm. I can add my own value system mm -hmm. to it, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. unlike like other systems where they kind of proactively give you a value system yeah. for you to live up to. Yeah. So I, I've been experiencing, experimenting with uh, foam-free construction mm -hmm. methodologies and mm -hmm. talking somewhat about that from the perspective of uh, not so much from health, but decarbonization, mm -hmm. but just and I feel like just like Passivhouse, there is kind of a trickle-down effect when you look at the materiality side. Mm -hmm. But um, but I don't necessarily treat it as a religion, but I definitely think that uh, in the building industry, as at least when we talk about the decarbonization of mm -hmm. buildings from the energy side, mm -hmm. which um, still Passivhouse is still king. I still think that that's mm -hmm. one of the foremost conversations we need to, mm -hmm. cases we need to make with it, that, that the fabric of those buildings is also a large carbon footprint or carbon uh, carbon obstacle to deal with in buildings and that uh, and when we talk about finding problems that's one of those problems that I think uh, yeah. is of great value to work with yeah but with, with the, the whole materiality discussion I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes wonder why do we have this around buildings why are we not well are we not concerned about embodied energy of cars or embodied energies of of mattresses or embodied energies of mobile phones or whatever so the it's i'm i'm, I'm just curious why this why the discussion about embodied energy pops up in the context of energy efficient buildings and and not in in all with regard to other things that have embodied energy um Generally, I, my, my, my view generally on this is, well, if the energy is embodied into, in something that makes sense, you know, that serves a purpose, mm -hmm. I'm fine with it. The, I, I, what I loathe is embodied energy in, in, in trinkets, in, in city stuff, in, in stuff that gets thrown out um, two weeks after you bought it. That's a waste. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as as long as we embody energy into things that serve a purpose, so for basically a very durable long time, goods, fundamentally, yes. as durable goods. Work. But not all durable goods are enjoyable or really serve the, the their purpose. So, True. Uh, a concrete building is durable, but does it keep you, the occupants healthy and 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 warm? Possibly not without insulation. So. Um, well, it's, yeah, durability is one aspect of it, but also does it really does it serve a purpose? So is it is it well does it fill a need? Um, and then I'm very happy to embody energy into things. Um, and that that almost becomes a design question too. Mm -hmm. You know, do we need buildings in the U.S. that are three times the size per square footage of yep. occupants as they were yep. in the 1950s? Yes. I mean, that's a there's so many. Yeah. ways to yeah. uh, approach and look at that problem yeah. Yeah. and in my in my take on it is 
is almost as simple as I can get. It's that it's the only thing I really have any particular influence in this industry mm -hmm. in creating a topical conversation, and mm -hmm. also the buildings. Uh, and kind of the core to my presentation on the decarbonization of passive house is that uh, is that we're building out at the rate where where we're going to be replacing or building new uh, three is almost what is it seven seventy percent of existing building stock is going mm -hmm. to be built out mm -hmm. by twenty thirty again. Mm -hmm. So so we're recreating the world, mm -hmm. quite literally rebuilding the world yep. over again, and that the material side of that in that framework mm -hmm. becomes almost as large a climate impact as the energy yep. consumption of yep. buildings. The good so, thing with embodied energy though is it's not like it's not like uh, fossil fuels burn that's the energy is still there. Right. So, so there's embodied energy in this in this plywood cube here um, but well it's not going away. So if you, one day you decide you don't no, no longer want this um, then you could take it apart and build something new out of it, couldn't you? But whatever, whichever way you look at embodied energy, re really you shouldn't be con too concerned about, in my view at least, about insulation materials. And they're, they're typically quite low. Um, well, uh, in the overall scheme of things, they're, they're typically um, the, the quite small proportion of the embodied energy that goes into a building. So think about plastics, think about think about um, steel and aluminium um, and think about um, um, concrete and brick if you're concerned about embodied energy yeah. then, then these are the materials to to mostly um, avoid or yeah reduce the the usage of um, but for, for some reason the 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 the, um, the discussion with around energy efficient buildings then hinges or focuses on on embodied energy of insulation materials, there are differences. And I think they conflate often that with health yeah. and performance, which are yeah. completely different, maybe parallel subjects. Yeah. But I think it, like when people, I think we go back to that word natural in quotes again, mm -hmm. that people want naturally built yep. buildings. Yep. And I do buy that, that the, there is a certain level of unknown, especially knowing that our buildings, as we demolish them or reuse them, yep. that they become the largest source of waste. Yep in the world yep. as well. And what are the repercussions of that uh, 50 years, 100 years down the line? Dep so Depends really on well, how you project the future. There could be a future where our, our uh, landfills really become the hardware stores. They become the hardware stores. Yes. So mm -hmm. if you if you if you really believe in a, in a resource constrained future, then then people will mine land landfills for usable materials in the future. Yeah. So, uh, but it may or may not be a problem. Um, it, it may it may be possible to well be to recycle more stuff before it even goes to landfill. Yeah. But it may and also so be that we're we're mining landfills. And in so, the future. for like a circular economy perspective, mm. you actually designed for that mm. issue. So I can design my building to be taken apart mm -hmm. and put back together. Like BMW famously made their cars mm -hmm. being able to take apart so that each component can be recycled mm -hmm. properly. You know, did it really change the auto industry? I doubt mm -hmm. it. I suspect we mm. really didn't care mm. enough as consumers mm. that that was the case. Yeah. But in the future, uh, certainly buildings at least, like like mass timber, for instance, that's the yeah. incredibly useful material yes. to take apart again and reuse. Yep. And my old shop for this building, I was mm. able to deconstruct the building, use probably about 
60 or 70 percent of the original materials of yep. that building back into the new passive house yep. again yep. and so yep. thinking of that part of it is a is a is really exciting to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. part of that function mm -hmm. so but but most of these so you in in switzerland they've they've recycled exterior insulation finishing systems and hmm. were able to reuse them in new project projects and no kingspan is starting to advertise yeah, that it it's it well i'm not sure how how well i'm i'm not I, I'm, no, I'm pretty sure it's not large scale yet because the problem is it's pretty expensive to do currently mm -hmm. but again in in a resource constrained future and 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 that's where where we what uh, what the embodied energy discussions uh, will sort of have in, in the in, in the back um, as um, an argument. So in a resource-constrained future, it's it's perfectly conceivable that you can recycle most things if it's sure. just a matter of finding the funds for it. Sure. But I always think, you know, from a design point of view, if you know something, if you have a fungible problem mm -hmm. and I can solve it with... A, B, or C, mm -hmm. and I know the results of A, B, but I don't really know the longer-term results of C, mm -hmm. then it makes it a lot easier to go to the A's yep. and the B's yes. as my go-to problem. Yep. And then when I have things that are a little bit more shaky, yep. uh, just from the design, immediate design yep. goals, then yep. I, can, I can bring in another set of tools. But my default would be something that yep. has, has a much more clear environmental uh, positive impact or less negative impact in the case of most buildings. I agree. Um, the so it's and if you if you keep it if you keep it well just well if you just make the distinction steel concrete uh, versus timber it's 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 pretty easy to make that that call. Mm -hmm. It gets harder and harder the the more you look in. So if you 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 wanted to figure out well polyurethane versus polystyrene styrene then unfortunately the data we have about embodied energy that that varies widely worldwide so what apparently goes into a material as embodied energy there are databases out there that that have huge discrepancies yeah in, in the mega jewel that go in there so even for steel itself even for it, steel itself or, or for aluminium products, so like right? in, in in new zealand our the, the large aluminium smelter is next to a purpose-built hydro scheme. So, yes, there is lots of energy in there, but it's well. It, and you could make the argument that you could use the power generated by that hydro scheme for other purposes. If it wasn't used to create the aluminium, but but well, it wasn't created for anything else in the first place. It wasn't created for anything else in the first place, and well, and on on the face of it, it just so that very little carbon goes into producing aluminium in New Zealand. Right, right. But yeah, that so but but it's I, w I wouldn't say well so it's not a problem to use aluminium if it's produced in New Zealand as a consequence of that. But um, it you really got to look <coughs> in 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 great detail into the the production processes to come up with with the, the the finer differences between materials. Yeah, and I think that's I think that is the biggest issue and very unpassive housey in a way is because you really won't get that far. I mean, certainly there are have been a lot of projects that not a lot, but there have mm -hmm. been projects out there have done carbon calculations of their own projects, mm -hmm. and the spreadsheets are pretty mm -hmm. insane mm -hmm. the amount of research involved. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I and I like to, but we know the generalities. Yeah. We, we certainly know that wood's better than steel, for yes. instance. So yeah. we have these yeah. two kind of worlds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have the worlds inside of that, yeah. but then they're different conversations yeah. compared to each other. Well, but even even that steel versus timber question, so that that may look different in other contexts. I'm just thinking Australia with their termite problems. Mm -hmm. So with timber buildings there, you'll, you'll either have to poison your timber and the ground around the timber uh, uh, to not have it destroyed by termites in, in some regions. Uh, so that's your that's the option A and option B is to use a steel construction that is well that you separate thermally completely from your th so, so where you separate structure completely from your thermal envelope, right? And then you don't need to poison the ground and 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 your timber and and so that, that yeah, could, and durability that could, is is more could, important. Could make a difference there. I'm not sure if it if I haven't done the calculation. Sure. I haven't properly weighted, but I. Yes, generally I would say, yeah, uh, timber um, preferable from embodied energy and many other aspects um, um, compared to, to steel. But there may be situations where it's actually not so clear cut. I tried a little uh, test to, uh, to try to visualize this problem in, mm -hmm. the, in the cleanest ways. Um, I, was, I was having a, a beer with uh, Brian Court, who's the lead architect of the Bullet Center. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a great guy, a great problem solver, mm -hmm. really, ultimately. And um, it was, it's fun to catch up with him and what's going on. in, in it's a timber-rich place, Seattle. Mm -hmm. And that's a very big part of the conversation of uh, large construction is yep. that Cascadia region. And then behind him was this photograph of the, um, of the, uh, the uh, Space Needle mm -hmm. in Seattle. Mm -hmm. But it was out of focus. Mm -hmm. So you could just see it as this kind of saucery thing with mm -hmm. a stick coming mm -hmm. through it really is all mm -hmm. it looked like. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in uh, Melbourne, mm -hmm. I, I had to do, I did a workshop on the decarbonization mm -hmm. process of Passive Alice. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to test this. So I took a photo of, of, uh, of downtown Seattle with the Space mm -hmm. Needle at night and blurred it mm -hmm. to a significant amount and showed mm -hmm. it to them and said, Does, you guys know where this is. Mm -hmm. And all, the whole audience knew, it. oh yeah, that's Seattle. Mm -hmm. Even with just a very little bit of information, mm -hmm. they still kind of knew what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I visualize this problem is that we can we can only take this so far in, mm -hmm. to get, until we run into these big mm -hmm. kind of what if mm -hmm. issues that would take a substantial mm -hmm. amount of effort. Mm -hmm. But at least we need to at least define the problem and, and have mm -hmm. intelligent conversations yep. about the problem rather than yep. just before, when we first tackled this, you know, it was just foam and everything everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually turned a lot of people off mm -hmm. uh, simply because we know there is a significant amount of embodied energy in mm -hmm. especially some of these foams with, mm -hmm. the, with, the, mm -hmm. with, the, with the propellants. Mm -hmm. And also there's some performance issues, but mm -hmm. also in the end, it just didn't quite feel right. And we knew that something felt wrong about this process of just larding up our, our high-performing buildings with uh, products that didn't really have a way of going back into nature again, or necessarily back into the building cycle again, very clearly either. So, so it was. Uh, I think that it 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 tends to it attract another subgroup of people who are very environmentally based, but not necessarily building science oriented. The, the, the so, great thing about passive house is it's really not a design standard. It's it's a performance standard. Right. If you, you can make it work with straw bale, you can make it work with ramped earth and some insulation. Um, you can make it work any any way you like, really. Um, 
but I'm well. I'm so given so if, if economics typically um, um, a decision maker of choosing one material over the other, and the cheapest insulation material in most places will be polystyrene. And so if someone can, has a budget to make a passive house work with polystyrene, I'd, I'd, I'd still say go for that rather than, than trying to build with materials you can't afford and not quite get there and not quite get the comforts and benefits of passive house. That's true. And it's mm -hmm. my job to prove mm -hmm. that you can do it cheaper and better yeah. with materials yeah. that are not, yeah. that, that have a, a, a more robust environmental yeah. Uh, yeah. legacy to yeah. them. But yeah, uh, what's the most interesting passive house that you've seen in your travels, or one of them? One of the most interesting projects is a housing co-op in. Uh, so it's um it's 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 really a cooperative um, in um, Darmstadt, in not that far from the first passive house build. What I find fascinating about this project, so it's, it's a multi-story, multi-unit building, and um, well, the, the 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 project managers of this building, large building, and they build a second one um, uh, next door, where the the people who live in there, and that's a cooperative of able-bodied and disabled people. So they they created most of their units accessible, um, and they they everything is affordable. Um, it's a housing cooperative. As a well, you you you're a pseudo tenant there because all tenants are also owners of the project uh, with with a share. Um, they created a, a cafe there. They created green roofs. Um, um, and they're extended, then they, they founded a, a separate cooperative that bought space of, well, adjacent parking buildings to put photovoltaic panels on. <laughs> so they also have, they have this housing co-op and they have an energy co-op that sells photovoltaic energy to the neighborhood. So the, uh, Beautiful. So the building itself didn't have to be, you know, kind of work built around a solar production that no, they... That they no. So the, the building itself has some photovoltaic panels on the roof as well, but the building itself is um, has a flat roof and is, well, sort of a perimeter block. So they created this very nicely landscaped interior garden spaces um, mm. and mm. bike storage, um, underground bike storage spaces, like like Hobbit houses, sort of. That's their bike storage cool. on, in the in the in the in a courtyard, but. Lots of green space that that on well balconies also and and and, and really very pleasant place to be and a really good feeling there and I also like the social aspects of it very much so I I really enjoyed that fantastic mm -hmm. I'll put a we'll put a uh, a link to the projects and some photos yeah. on the website on yeah. needbase.com and uh, uh, and we'll put some of your work up there as well as some links to, okay. to some of your papers and, and what you're doing down in New Zealand, Passive House Academy. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun to be down in uh, Melbourne and seeing uh, that region just really flourish with these concepts. And people are pretty smart down there, so it's fun to see how quickly they, they adapt to it and interpret it and create these kind of new results that we've never seen before. So uh, safe travels back home. Thank you. All right, Thanks. cheers.